Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Scripture today is from John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take a moment for silent reflection. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we come to this moment with hopes, with anticipation, with joy. We come to this moment with fear or just being exhausted or anxious, addicted or depressed. We come to this moment feeling connected to ourselves, to you, to others, or lonely, or angry, or holding a grudge against somebody else that we know is eroding us from within, and yet it seems so hard to forgive. We come to this moment with all of the beauty and the brokenness of our own lives, as well as the fracturedness of this world a world marked by political polarization, by racialized violence, by turmoil. And yet you see us and you know us individually and as a human race. You know us to the depths of our core and you love us to the highest heights. That love is illustrated and demonstrated in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. 
as you lavishly pour yourself out on our behalf and you say, come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. We scramble. We frantically try to achieve. We run and climb more and more. And the last thing we have is rest. So I pray now, however we find ourselves this morning, that you would break through all the static and the confusion, the ways that we speed ourselves up and are so easily distracted, or the ways we are completely slowed down and it's hard to get out of bed in the morning. Break through. Send us your Holy Spirit and teach us in a way that our lives would be transformed and renew the face of the earth. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. Amen. The other day as I was coming out of the water in La Jolla, just finished a swim, and as I was crossing the street to go and get a hot shower and try to return my body temperature somewhere around 98 degrees, I noticed there was a motorcycle cop right there. And as I saw the motorcycle cop, I saw this family of four kind of cruising up to the sidewalk on their bird motorized scooters that they had just rented with their app, obviously on vacation. And before they could even park these scooters, the motorcycle cop said, hey, excuse me, hey you, you're doing three things wrong. Let me tell you all three things you're doing wrong right now. And the father said, you know, he, well, he goes, first, you need to do it this way. And the father said, I know I was. No, let me finish. The police officer says, you need to do it this way, and you need to do it that way, and this is what you're doing wrong. And I just watched. I just watched and was like, whoa, I am not getting in front of this police officer. As soon as the officer was finished chiding this family in front of the children, he turned to a car that happened to be driving by and said, stop get over here. Here's two things you're doing wrong right now. And began to tell them more and more what they were doing wrong. I had a meeting an hour later. And as I approached the door to the place where I was going, I noticed for whatever reason, that motorcycle cop was outside the front door. And I, I spent as little time in front of that person as possible because I just didn't want them to make eye contact with me and tell me what I was doing wrong. You know, for some of us, I think when you, your image of God or of Jesus when you say, what do you, how do you think God relates to you in your life? How do you think God, what, what do you think God sees when God sees you? How does God deal with the ways that you don't get it and you're not going the right direction? And I think for many of us, it's that image of a traffic cop. This is, hey, let me tell you the three things you're doing wrong here. Don't even plead your case. I already know better than you do. Be quiet if you know what's good for you. Get in line. But that's not the image that Jesus gives us today. As he describes himself, he does not describe himself as the dutiful traffic cop. He describes himself as the good shepherd. What do you think it means that he's a good shepherd? Let's, let's consider that. What does it mean that Jesus relates to us as a good shepherd? What does it mean for us personally, and how do we respond? First, what does it mean that he relates to us as a good shepherd? Whenever I, I prepare a sermon on any of these agricultural or farming sort of metaphors, I try to find some sort of references that were written by a shepherd or a farmer. And I came across one by a man named Douglas McMillan, who's a shepherd, and he tells a story of being on a train. And his friend was on a train with him. And they were on the train going through the countryside, and the shepherd had just sold a whole lot of his sheep to another farmer. And as the railway went by this other farm, he was able to look out the window and say, look, right there, those are four of my sheep. See, you and I think they're just sheep, but a farmer who knows, a shepherd who knows their sheep, knows them individually. 
knows them through and through. It means he knows your weakness. See, we hear the shepherd of the sheep and we think sheep are cute. But the reality is sheep are cute but dumb. (laughs) Sheep are easily lost. Sheep are confused. Even when the shepherd goes and finds the sheep, they still, they don't yell, hooray, I'm found, now I get to eat and have security and safety. They panic frantically and they run back and forth. The shepherd literally has to run after them and tackle them and bind their hooves together or whatever they have to put them on their, the shepherd's shoulders and come back in joy. See, you let almost any other animal loose, a chicken, a horse, a dog, a cat, a camel, it will do one of two things. It will either, you know, throw off all of its bonds and yell freedom and run off into the sunset, or it will be like E.T. just saying, home, I'm going home, I'm going home, I'm going home. It will either run for freedom or run back home. Sheep do neither. They just basically follow one another into disaster before either they eat something that poisons them or they get attacked by another animal. So when he says that he's the good shepherd and that we're sheep, on one hand, it means you don't have life as figured out as you think you do. But you already knew that. And he's not going to be an enabler. He's going to say, I know you and I see you, and you're more lost than you want to admit. And maybe the first step toward freedom is admitting it. In a place where there's no shame, there's no condemnation, there's only a loving shepherd who wants to guide you home. He knows you. A shepherd who gives guidance. Guidance in our own lives. I mean, Google anything, you know, 10 steps to your best life or what should I do to succeed in business or how do I have great healthy relationships? You will get 43,629,000 results within 0.07 seconds on Google. There's plenty of information out there, but there's very little guidance. Or even when we think of our own lives, we kind of get that chronological snobbery we talk about here sometimes where you think, 10 years ago, I was lost. Ten years ago, I didn't know. Ten years ago, I thought I was so right, but now I know more, and I'm so wrong. But my friend, don't you know that future you is going to say the same thing about you right now? I thought I knew it. I thought I had it. I made the best decisions I could in the moment with the the data I had, and look where it got me. And the good shepherd says, you can trust me. I'll give you guidance. Stick close to me. He doesn't say, I'll give you the map and tell you here's 10 steps to your best life. Here are five, the Bible does not give you five principles for a great life. The Bible, of course, does give you principles in terms of thriving in community and being your truest self, of course. But it's not a roadmap. He says, I'm not going to give you just directions. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to lead you. He says, I can tell you who you are. I think it's fascinating that we want to believe no one can tell me who I am. I decide for myself. And then I come on my Instagram stream through streams of people saying, I'm my own person. No one else can tell me who I am. And I'm going, well, why are you putting it on Instagram then and trying to build a fan base? Because deep down, there's part of us that wants to go to others to say, tell me who I am. We cannot bless ourselves. The problem is we go through all sorts of dysfunctional ways to try to earn that acceptance or that blessing. We climb the corporate ladder at work thinking, if you can just get that promotion, if you can have that title in front of your name on LinkedIn, then you've arrived. Now you're acceptable. 
If you can just have another zero after the comma in your paycheck, then you've arrived. And then you get it. One of two things happens. Either you don't get it and you're frustrated thinking that is the key to your happiness, or you do get it and you're still just left with yourself. Because we easily lost. He says, I know you and I will lead you. Let me ask you, what are the ways that you right now are plotting your direction in life? What are the voices that guide you that you trust? What are the pathways that you choose to walk on? And how's it working for you? And he says, come to me all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And in the middle of that entire invitation is the word yoke, which is what it means to burden yourself to another animal so that you can walk in the same direction. He says, you've tried it your way. You're exhausted. You're anxious. Return to me. Walk with me. He knows you. He guides you. He can tell you who, who you truly are. He values you. See, because on one hand, sheep are idiots. <laughs> At the same time, sheep are very valuable. Pound for pound, sheep are some of the most valuable animals in the entire world. Every part of its being is value. It's wool, it's meat, it's everything is valuable. He didn't choose an animal that's worthless. He chose an animal that was highly prized and desired in that society. So he says, on one hand, you don't have it all together as much as you think you do, and that's okay. And at the same time, I love you more than you could ever possibly imagine. Now let's put that into context. If Jesus truly is the Son of God, if he really is, as Colossians says, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, as it says in Gospel John chapter 1, the one through whom all things were created. If he is the one who has created the cosmos, who has all the wealth, all the gold, all the power, all the authority, what does this mean? The one who has everything and needs nothing treasures you. And remember, it's not that he treasures you because you put on your Sunday best and you got your act together for three days in a row and now God loves you. He loves you even as you were at the pinnacle of your sheepishness, lost, wandering, eating stuff you shouldn't, and he loves you. How much does he love you? He goes on, I am the good shepherd. I'm not the hired hand. The hired hand runs away. The hired hand doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life of my own accord. Right? This is one of those pieces where he's prefiguring what's going to happen on the cross. And he says, I want you to know what I'm about to do on the cross on your behalf, dying for your brokenness, rising to restore all things, that is not a cosmic accident. That is not a great coincidence. That is not me becoming a victim against my own will. I go to the cross on my own accord. I do it willingly. Why? Because I love you. What did Jesus gain by going to the cross that he did not already have? Authority? Power? No. Philippians 2 says this. He already had all power and authority, and he didn't see that as something to be exploited. What did he gain? Status, power? No, he already had that and divested himself of it to become one of us. On the cross, he gained relationship with you and me. He took upon himself all the wandering, all the brokenness, all the fracturedness, so that we might be united with him. 
and reconnected with one another. It's interesting, the shepherd theme comes throughout scripture. It's prominently displayed in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And it was pointed out to me a while ago in another reference written by a shepherd that all shepherds know that a sheep will not lie down unless four conditions are met. Number one, a sheep will not lie down if it's starving. That evolutionary drive to get sustenance will push it out to get some food. So when he says, I'm the good shepherd who makes you lie down in green pastures, he's saying, I feed you. But I don't just feed you. I feed you good food. A shepherd doesn't just put anything in front of the sheep. A shepherd actually guides and steers them toward green pastures, away from poisonous berries and things that could be toxic for the animal. So part of being compared to sheep means we're hungry people, and I don't have to tell you that. There's a multi-billion dollar industry in the marketing community surrounding your appetites and your hungers, designed to fuel them in ways that simply sell more products and services. And you know, it works. And we're more hungry. We're more frantic. We're more anxious. We're more exhausted. We compare ourselves to one another. As Alexei de Tocqueville said in the 18th or in the 19th century, never when he observed Americans, he came over from France, he said, never have I seen a people with so much wealth and so much dissatisfaction. Jesus says, what are you feeding yourself with? Why don't you come and put me in the center of your life and realize that you don't lose your appetite, you don't lose your hunger, but you rather begin to feed yourself with something substantial. You were actually designed to know the God that created you, to be comfortable in your own skin, to look the world in the eye, to neither regret the past nor fear the future. You were designed to know the God who knows you and loves you and feeds you and fills you. So he makes me lie down in green pastures means he'll feed you. Where are you hungry right now? What do you think about when you wake up in the morning? Ask your best friend or your spouse or your partner or your neighbor or family member, what would you say I'm hungry for? What would it look like to let him more into that area of your life? A sheep will also not lie down if they're in danger from outside predators, of course. And so by saying he he makes me lie down in green pastures, he's saying, I protect you from the outside. The third one is, a sheep will not lie down if they have parasites within their own body. The, the sheep often get this parasite. I've, I've learned all of this secondhand by reading, by the way. I've never seen it. But apparently, it's very common for sheep to get a parasite that comes into their head and attacks their brain. And it's, an, it's that incurable itch from within. And it drives them mad. In fact, oftentimes, if the parasite itself does not kill the sheep, the sheep die from banging their head against a tree or against a wall, just trying to get that nagging itch to go away. And he says, I keep you clean. I keep you free from those parasites. So when you put those two together, it means I protect you from the danger out there and I protect you from the craziness in here. When you look out there and you see brokenness, be not afraid. You don't need to minimize it. You don't need to run from it. You don't need to explain it. You can actually move toward it because I'm at work in the midst of the entire mess. And when you look in the mirror and you see a mess there that seems overwhelming 
and you are tired of confessing the same things this week as you did last week. You're tired of life being two steps forward and two steps backward, seeming like you're staying still. It feels like this incurable itch in your brain. He says, and I'm there at work in your life. I'm the good shepherd. So you can have courage. You can have perseverance. You can both move toward the pain points of the people around you, and you can be patient and gracious with yourself and say, you're not exactly where you want to be, but you're on the way. And furthermore, you have a good shepherd who will see to it that you get there. And finally, a sheep will not lie down if they're fighting with one another. Right? The sheep thinks, if I lie down, that guy's going to come over here and step on my head. I'm going to stay up. I have to protect myself. And so he's the good shepherd who actually creates peace within community. And we say this often, that our unifying principle at Renewed Church is not that we agree on everything. Not that we all like the same music or the same restaurant or the same politician or the same policy. We disagree on all sorts of things. But the unifying principle is that there's a good shepherd who knows us and loves us and calls us to himself. And as we get closer to him, we look around and realize we're surrounded by brothers and sisters we would not have chosen if it was up to us. And that's actually for our own good. See, the way that our society builds relationships, it says, tell me what you can do for me and I'll tell you if I want you around. Tell me if you're going to validate me and enable me, and I'll have you closer to my inner circle. Tell me if you can repeat the echo chamber of my own beliefs and thoughts and values, and then you're good. And if not, you're bad. But that's not the way that Christian community is formed. The Christian community is formed as we see a good shepherd who's given his life on our behalf, who says, I'm not just going to love you when you get it. I love you when you don't get it. And then we go, oh, and now we can love each other in the same way. Who says, especially when you're lost, I'll go after you. And we say, then I'll go after you too. I'm going to love you how he loves me. And I hope you do the same. We will frustrate each other. We will disappoint each other. We will forgive each other. We will speak the truth and love with one another. And when we do, the watching world looks and says, there's something different going on in that community. The good shepherd is leading an entirely new society within the old one. He's a good shepherd. You know what that means for us? On one hand, it means we follow him unconditionally, which I just want to admit right now is terrifying. I think behind a lot, like someone, right, you know, someone is saying, look, I don't think Jesus is God. I don't think Jesus rose from the dead. You know this is a safe and respectful place where you can say that out loud, ask questions, have great conversations. But I would also say, connected to all of our doubts and cynicism and skepticism, is often an underlying value or need or concern. And I think this is one of them. If Jesus really is the Son of God, the one who's risen from the dead, then it means the only response that actually makes rational sense is to give all of our lives over to him. But that's terrifying, and we don't want to do it. So then we say, I don't think he actually is God. I don't think he actually did rise from the dead, because we keep it at arm's length. The only thing that makes complete sense, is to follow him unconditionally. But we don't do that. We say, God, take care of this issue in my career. Help me make more money. Help me get that promotion. Help me get out of trouble with my boss or with my coworker. But leave my love life and my relationships alone. Or we say, God, help me in my relationships. 
Make me more connected. Give me someone to love. But don't talk to me about my money, how I spend my finances, how I pour myself out. We say, I'll believe, I'll trust, I'll follow Jesus if he fill in the blank. If he lines up with my politics. If he likes the same people I like. If he hates the same people that I hate. If he just happens to have the same vision and values for sexuality as I do. If he lines up with my report card, I'll trust him. I'll follow him. But I've got to tell you, you will never find the creator and the savior of the world that way. You will create a God in your own image who likes the things you like and hates the things you hate. That God will never comfort you in a time of great tragedy. That God will never propel you forward to become more who you were created to become. He's not your personal assistant you buzz in when you need a little advice. He's the good shepherd. And the word good shepherd in Greek, the word good does not mean morally good, like you can trust him to do the right thing when nobody's looking. He's that as well. But that's not what the word means. It means beautiful. He's the beautiful shepherd. He's the one who loves you in a way that's not only described as powerful or merciful, but as beautiful. And I would submit to you, you will never fully give your life over to him until you can see that he loves you in a way that's beautiful. You'll never give your life over to him if you see him as the traffic cop, just waiting to give you unsolicited condemning advice or write you a ticket. No way, you'll run from him like I did, run from that cop, and rightfully so. But when you can see he is the good shepherd, that he does have power and authority, and he uses it on your behalf, why would you wait another minute? Run to him. Jesus comes to you and me in the ways we get lost, and he calls you by name. I shared this story last year, but it was so dazzling to me. I have a dear friend named Melanie. Melanie Reed, if you're watching, hello, my friend. She's from Brazil, and her dad had a big cattle ranch in Brazil. And one day he was held up and robbed at gunpoint on his farm, and they took his cattle. And he, you know, had to recuperate and mentally, emotionally, I'm sure, and all of that. And at some point he went to a ranch and he saw his cattle. And he said, hey, those are my cows. And they said, no, they're not. How do you know? Prove it. And he walked to the middle of the field, and he began calling them by name. Daisy, come here. Tulip, come here. Lucy, come here. And they started coming and following the one that they knew that could feed them, give them safety and protect them and care for them. He called them by name. Jesus sees you in the ways that you're lost, in the ways that you wander, in the ways you're exhausted, and he calls you by name. In fact, he not only calls you by name, he gives you a new name. You see this throughout scripture where he goes to Abram and he changes his name to Abraham, which means you will be the father of many, because through him all nations would be blessed. He goes to Simon and he turns his name into Peter, the rock, because though he is a trembling, scared man in the beginning, he becomes sturdy and stable as he relies on God's grace through the resurrection. And he comes and he says, I call you by name and I give you a new name. Beloved. The truest thing about you is you are mine and I love you. So when you develop spiritual amnesia 
and it seems like you can't get anything right. And other people are happy to remind you of that fact. And that inner critic voice starts to spin and go, you know what, maybe they're all right, and you are a failure. You come back to this and say, no, actually, the truest thing in my life is I'm beloved. And when you are wildly successful, hitting home runs at work, well-connected, you walk down the street and people say, a girl, you're amazing, a boy, you're doing great. And it just seems like everything's going your way. And you begin to think, maybe I don't need God after all. I've got it pretty well covered. You come back to this and you remember, no, the truest thing about me is I'm beloved. And nobody can ever take that away. Popularity will rise and fall. Success will come in and go out like the tide at the ocean. But the belovedness never leaves. And when you see that, it transforms your life. What would be different if that's the loudest voice you hear right now? Your beloved. And throughout Scripture, the the model of this, the mode of this, is not only that you are beloved, but then you are sent out in mission to embody that belovedness in tangible actions. Abraham was renamed the father of many, not for his own good, but for the good of the world. Peter was renamed the rock, not for his own good, but because he would be a sturdy, stable member of society and help found the faith community that would go on to bless others. Always renaming for mission. What might your mission be this week? Who might need to know that they're beloved? How would you walk toward that person? What does it look like for you to wake up in the morning tomorrow, maybe writing on a sticky note on your mirror in your, in your bathroom, just, I am beloved, and let that be the driving force of your day, to live out of that into a new identity. You see, that doesn't mean that you try less at work. You, it means you can actually strive at work and fully apply yourself with no strings attached. See, in our workaholism, we work, 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 so that at the end of the day, hopefully somebody will say, you did a great job and you're a wonderful person. But what if you can start the other way around where Jesus starts and say, I start from belovedness. So now I can go and work hard, even if nobody's watching, only because I have an audience of one who already knows me and loves me. See, it doesn't mean work goes away. It means it finds its true context in your life and mine. In the same way with relationships. It doesn't mean you quit caring what other people think about you. It doesn't mean you quit sacrificially caring for the people closest to you. Not at all. But instead of loving others so that hopefully they'll love you and connect with you and give you what you need and complete you. Rather, you can start from a place of belovedness. And then you can love and give yourself to others with no strings attached. No codependency. No, I need you to need me. It's a new way of relating all together. You can go into society. You can go down 30th Street right here and move toward people that have nothing in common with you. Not needing to be validated. Not needing to have anything in common. Not needing anything from anybody, but rather just saying, how can I be an agent of belovedness in this neighborhood at this time? And if you don't live, live in North Park, obviously, wherever you are, you could put that into practice right where you are. See, that's the paradox, and that's what I want to leave you with is, he's the good shepherd who knows us, feeds us, protects us, cares for us, 
And then as we give ourselves to him, we find out who we truly are. And then we're redirected in mission to actually imitate the good shepherd so that we can go on and care for others. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we pray now that you would convince us that you love us this much. In the ways that we wander and get lost, in the ways we want to grab the world with, by the shoulders and say, tell me who I am, it's exhausting. We're anxious. Help us to see that you're not a traffic cop just looking to write citations, but you are a good shepherd who loves us more than we love ourselves. And so help us to follow you now, to give our lives completely to you, whether we've done this before and we're coming back to you again today saying, I want to realign my life with yours, Jesus. Or for the first time, as we're saying, today I'll take a step of letting you into my life. Meet us, overwhelm us with your grace. Surprise us with joy as we follow you. And send us out to be your agents of renewal wherever we go. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Friends, we continue now with our time of offering, which on one hand is an act of worship, as we say, everything I have is a gift from God, so I give back to God freely from what I've been given. It's also an act of mission, because everything we give goes to fund this church's mission to renew our neighborhood, our city, and our world. And so, uh, um, as we do, if you would like to participate in the offering, you can do it online. Just go to renewsandiego.org. There's a Give tab at the top. It's all encrypted and secure and tax-deductible. Offering also goes beyond our finances as we think about our passion, our talent, our ability, our social circles. What does it look like to pour ourselves out as good shepherds who follow the good shepherd? So let's commit our offering to God using the prayer if you're following along on page 6 as we pray. Heavenly Father, all that we have and all that we are come from you. So we gladly give this offering that others too may be blessed. For the sake of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.